umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we have a lot to talk about so entering this off season there have been a number of coaching changes and there's been a lot of uh drama among the fans and um Clint and I are going to take this opportunity to go through each change and give our commentary. Does that sound good, Clint? Yep, sounds right. All right, so let's go through the timeline. First things first, Michigan loses the Orange Bowl 34-11 to in the college football playoffs. I know I was very excited heading into the game, pretty disappointed coming out of it, but again, there were there's a lot to a lot left to build moving on. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where our base state entering into this. So first things first, early in January, around the fifth, we heard that defensive line coach, Sean Nua was departing to USC. And Clint, what did you think about that? Well, it was, it made sense. I think Sean Nua has been kind of a, a West Coast Pacific uh, Pacific guy uh, outside of his time at, at the Naval Academy. So um, not not a huge surprise. He had a great uh, a great season last year. Obviously, coaching a very very productive defensive line, including a, a Heisman Trophy finalist. So uh, it's kind of a big loss. But but your D line coach, I think. Um, there are a lot of talented coaches and good recruiters at that spot. So uh, Sean Nua did a good job and left some big shoes to fill, but there are lots of people uh, qualified to fill those shoes. So it wasn't a major concern at that point, made some sense. And uh, he was one of the only holdovers. I think there was only two people in the off seasons from 2020 into 21. There were only two coaches that kept their spot and uh, Sean Nua was one of them. So, um, you know that it seemed about right, and certainly as the first move of a long chain of dominoes here, wasn't that wasn't that much of a surprise, and I didn't take it as much of a harbinger of things to come. Definitely, and I like Sean Nua a lot. He was great to talk to, but it's interesting because over the last couple of years, when you talk to him, occasionally he would talk about the weather, and again, as you mentioned, a guy who is from a warmer climate, you know, most of his experience is there. So the first thing I thought was, well, good for him, um, you know, moving to an area that he wanted to be. And again, I, I didn't see it as, you know, super, super horrible. Um, again, there's a, there's a certain amount of churn that's going to happen. And as you said, that was kind of the first, the first domino, right? So as we headed into, um, you know, further into January, uh, things began to percolate rumor and conjecture about coach Jim Harbaugh and, uh, around the 10th of January, Stephen Ross, you know, noted alumnus of the university of Michigan and owner of, uh, the Miami dolphins in the NFL, um, was quoted as saying, I'm not going to be the person that takes Jim Harbaugh from the university of Michigan. I hope he stays there. He's a great coach. So this was kind of interesting because having been down at the Orange Bowl in that stadium, 
Um, I kind of wondered when the rumors started to percolate about Harbaugh jumping to the NFL, I wondered if during the college football playoffs, if he was kind of sizing up what he thought of the stadium. You know, you could kind of wonder it a little bit. But this comment came out and it, it seemed to take Miami out of the running. And, um, you know, there was a little bit, um, you know, I, I think people were still wondering. Um, what's interesting is that, Clint, from being around Coach Harbaugh and talking to people close to him, I think I've always suspected that, you know, at some point he would be he could be tempted by going to the NFL or going back to the NFL, right? But, you know, to hear this statement and to see it in print is another thing to to see that there's definitely a lot of people who were thinking about it. Yeah, I mean it's at at that moment in time, right? It's second week of January. Um most of the speculation surrounding Harbaugh and the NFL was with the Raiders. Um, who had an interim coach after Gruden left midseason uh, amongst a, a scandal. And uh, and it really started to pick up when the Raiders uh, fired their GM, you know, as if they were going to give the next head coach a greater sense of control over personnel. So that's when uh, most people were kind of mapping their own thoughts about Harbaugh and the NFL onto NFL personnel news. And, um the link between Ross and Michigan and Harbaugh uh, got floated out there, uh, some back channeling and, and some media speculation to the point that Ross came out and made a, a definitive statement that he wasn't going to take Harbaugh away from Michigan. So um, really that was the only definitive statement that we heard uh, in mid-January from either an NFL uh, organization or from, from Jim Harbaugh directly. Everything else had – at least one layer of, you know, one degree of separation. And really we got into a game of telephone pretty soon after this. That was like the last definitive statement that we heard right from the horse's mouth uh, through the rest of January and into February. So uh, kind of the next domino is that uh, on the 17th of January, Mike Elston was hired away from Notre Dame to come to Michigan to replace Nua. And I got to say, you know, and again, nothing against Sean Nua, but I thought this was a clear upgrade. W- what did you think about this hire? Well, I, I think he's a great coach. I think Notre Dame's had a lot of success on the D line. They've built some really stout defensive fronts um, and really uh, developed a lot of NFL ta- talent on the inside of the defensive line and on the, uh, on the edge. So I agree that it was at least uh, at least you filled the shoes, could make the case that it was an upgrade in terms of coaching. But Mike Elston also, uh, numerous times for Brian Kelly as, as they went from program to program, uh, he took a recruiting coordinator role also. So he's a very strong recruiter and a well-organized um, coach in turn on the recruiting trail. So uh, I think when you put the two together, on-field coaching, development, um, he had been in the conversation multiple times as a potential candidate to move up to defensive coordinator under Brian Kelly. Uh, so experience and um, recruiting chops, I would agree that it's an upgrade, um, you know, multidimensional. So in, 
just 12 days after Sean Nua's announcement, you've you filled it with a guy that's uh, you know a player, former player for Michigan, and started his coaching career, um, it, you know, early on uh, in the late 90s and, and right around 2000. So, um, real deep roots and checked a lot of boxes for for all all sorts of uh, you know football related community and uh, couldn't have been happier at that point. So the only, you, you had a bunch of rumors and speculation with the NFL, but nothing real firm. And the one coach that had moved on was a quick replacement with a Michigan man type. And um, yeah, at that point, mid January, we're, we're still sitting. It's a pretty normal off season and, and things are going to be fine. You know, and I think that's the, the thing that I was, you know, crossed my mind is that, circumstantially, I thought, well, okay, Harbaugh must be coming back because, you know, why mm-hmm. would you hire a coach like that? And why would a coach like that come? You would you would imagine that there would be a conversation, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to uproot my family. I'm going to move, albeit, you know, the move from South Bend to Ann Arbor, while quite an upgrade, in my opinion, is not a big distance. It's still uprooting right? Mm-hmm. It's still, you're picking up your family and you're, you're coming back to Ann Arbor. And you have to believe at some point there was a conversation because understand, right, that no matter who takes over as head coach, whether, okay, in a, in a theoretical of Harbaugh left, right? You don't know if it's going to be somebody on staff. You don't know if it's going to be somebody from the outside. And whoever it is, may have lots of different opinions on reshuffling the staff. So when you see somebody come in, you kind of figure circumstantially that, you know, he, he thought he was coming into something, you know, kind of stable, right? So, um, you know, that was on the 17th. And 10 days later, uh, the first bomb went off as far as Mike McDonald going to Baltimore. So what did you think about that move, Clint? Well, it it was a it was a similar feeling to what Sean knew moving on is that that it made sense and it wasn't necessarily a, a positive thing, but Mike McDonald always, <laughs> despite our questions coming into the season and then his absolutely tremendous performance through the season, he definitely felt as if there was some kind of a loan program <laughs> between the Harbaugh brothers, right. Where, um, where the Baltimore system was kind of lending their next defensive coordinator to Michigan until, you know, he was going to come back and take that role, especially since McDonald, the the majority of McDonald's experience was, uh, was in the NFL. He only had a a limited amount of experience uh, with Georgia as, as a GA before he, he jumped into the analytics department uh, for Baltimore. So um, it's just a totally different world in terms of uh, nonstop year round, the, the recruiting cycle, never ending, a lot of travel, uh, you know, not a lot of time um, to be able to spend with, uh, with his family in, in the off season or the quote unquote off season. So um it wasn't a huge shock to find out that he was going to head back to Baltimore. Um, I was surprised that, um, that Harbaugh moved on from Wink Martindale so quickly. I mean, this last season for the Ravens was not great. 
um, and I, it's pretty telling, I think, um, that one season had a step back when McDonald left for Ann Arbor. Martindale's out, McDonald comes back. I mean, it's a pretty ringing endorsement, um, you know, f- uh, by Harbaugh that, you know, that was the guy in the air apparent. And the situation without him this season apparently was untenable for the Ravens. So uh, probably a faster timeline than I would have expected, but not. I think it's the end result that, that would have made a lot of sense, even if you'd have told me at the beginning of the McDonald era. Well, it's funny. You know, you, you mentioned uh, the Harbaugh brothers loaning each other coaches. I was thinking it's kind of the way uh, you might borrow a pickup truck from pickup truck from your brother, right? Hey, can I borrow your pickup truck? Apparently, they loan each other coaches, which is kind of funny. And we've seen that going back and forth, right, um, in the past. But it, it is kind of interesting. But so I have to admit, I was kind of shocked because, again, you have a defensive uh, coordinator at the NFL level who'd been pretty successful. Yes, had a disappointing year, but it was pretty clear that John was ready to move on, and uh, they brought Mike back. Um, again, enjoyed Mike immensely when he was here. Bright guy, you know, going to have a bright future uh, wherever he ends up. But I remember being kind of surprised and, and kind of disappointed and yet understanding, right? So this is when things started to get really interesting. Okay, or or I guess terrifying, depending on your view. The all all through this time, rumors were bubbling up against Harbaugh or bubbling up around Harbaugh, and then things kind of came to a head. Uh, you know, first of February, that you know we went through the Raiders rumor, we went through the Bears rumor, and I figured personally, okay from talking to people in the Harbaugh sphere, right? There were things that he wanted if he was going to be tempted by the NFL. Okay. One of those things was he learned from his time at the 49ers that he was either going to need to be GM or he was going to have to have a great relationship with the GM and he was going to have to have a great relationship with the ownership. Okay. Cause uh, those are things that, that uh, turned against him, in San Francisco. And despite him being pretty successful that, you know, when, when those things turned, um, he was dismissed. Right. So when the Raiders job popped open, that was the first time my radar went off. Right. Um, Harbaugh has a very nice home in San Diego that he maintains. And I kind of figured that, um, you know, family wise and, um, weather wise that, that that area would be something that would be attractive to him. Um, he had a pre-existing relationship with the Raiders. Let's be honest. The Raiders have a reputation for doing crazy things and, you know, moving from city to city. And again, that job was never supposed to be open. I could see a possible future where they threw Harbaugh the, the keys and gave him, you know, here, here's your 10 year, contract do whatever you want right you do as you wish right so the raiders were the thing that that concerned me um you know rumors about the bears bubbled up and you know following the bears a little bit as i do i would not say that is the best ownership situation um so 
I really didn't take that seriously. I didn't think there was a real chance that the Bears were going to be, um, you know, going the Jim Harbaugh route. And, and again, giving him the keys to the kingdom and, and you know, the, the free reign to do what he needed. So when the rumor came out that he was in final talks or final approach with the Vikings, that really shocked me. Um, and again, the the weird thing for me is um, not only did the Vikings kind of surprise me, but the whole way there are these dribs and drabs of information from usually pretty reliable sources uh, just really struck me as, as kind of odd. Clint, what did you think as, as the whole saga was unfolding? Well, it was clear that Harbaugh was interested in generating NFL opportunities if they were there, right? He wanted to pursue every NFL avenue that was possible. And really where I found myself focused was whether he was doing that to create leverage for, um, you know, for his own negotiation uh, with Ward Manuel in Michigan, or if he just wanted to, to negotiate from a, a, a position of strength, if some of it had to do with the, uh, the pride that he had to swallow after the 2020 season and the salary being cut, you know, a lot of, a lot of armchair uh, psychologist going on uh, with, with why he would be, you know, making whatever decision he was making, but it was very clear that he was, he had no problem that all that his name was being floated around to these different jobs and may have, have, you know, his inner circle may have been actively, you know, putting his name into uh, some of these, these uh, situations and, and floating it out there to generate that buzz. So, you know, it, it always boiled back to why, why, why then the Vikings hired uh, their new GM Adolfo Mensa, and he worked with Harbaugh, in San Francisco, he was a, a in in personnel and analytics uh, for the 49ers for the last two years of Harbaugh's tenure with the 49ers, and he got hired. Uh, you know, they did that GM interview with asking each of the candidates, "Who are your top three head coaching candidates?" As we, you know, that we also have to make that hire. And his his one of his options was Jim Harbaugh, and that you know raised some eyebrows. You know, and and was at least interesting enough that it helped him get the job um, as GM. And and we found out also uh, later on that Adolfo Mensa was at Stanford as a student with Matt Weiss, the the current quarterback coach. Um, so that that whole conversation and initial meet and greet was kind of brokered from the inside, uh, right inside a Harbaugh's sphere. And, and I think that's where some some smoke signals started to really turn into into some heat, right? And, and there was a legitimate fire there to the point that it, it became a real interview. There was a, a conversation, and yeah, maybe there's some interest. Are you interested? Yeah, okay, let's set up a Zoom call. Does a Zoom call, and yep, I'll be out there for the interview. We'll, we'll see you in a few days. So... Um, it, it happened really quickly. It turned very quickly. I don't think that this was all concealed through the month of January. I think this really started to kind of trickle about in that last week of January 
probably just before uh, Adolfo Mensa was hired as the GM on January 27th and, and really flipped quickly over the next three or four days to where Harbaugh's flying to Minneapolis on, um, you know, in the first week of February. So I never criticize a guy for taking an interview or looking into an option. And again, you know, Clint, I've said this for years that with how competitive Jim Harbaugh is, okay, I believe in his heart of hearts, it has to eat away at him that he was so close to winning a Super Bowl and didn't get it done, okay? And observing him, knowing him, I got to believe at some point that eats at him, right? And I think that, again, as somebody with who has that competitive fire burn, okay, and especially having a brother in the NFL who has gone on and had that success, I mean, I always say I can imagine them at, at a holiday dinner, right, or a family dinner, and John Harbaugh tapping the table with his Super Bowl ring, right, just to get into just to get into Jim's, you know, chili. Okay, I I I see these guys. Okay, I I can get it right. So it doesn't surprise me that Jim could be lured back. Um, what kind of surprised me was, as you said, there was this trickle of, oh, like okay, and like you said, I don't think anything was hidden. I think it was transparent. It was almost too transparent, right? My Mm -hmm. thing is, if you're going to go, go, okay? If you're going to go, you announce it after you take the job, right? And I really think you brought up some great points of, you know, we're hearing Jim's getting on the plane. Jim's going to have an interview. It really seemed like, hey, are you trying to put some heat on Michigan to make an offer for him not to leave, right? Like, was he trying to up the ante in Ann Arbor, you know? And and I think, you know, and this is where we get into, you know, I get into pure conjecture on my part. I think he played poker and he kind of lost, right? But when you think about it, if quote-unquote losing is coming back to Michigan, that's not so bad of a loss, right? But I, I do think that he was trying to ratchet up some of the attention. Um, and... You know, people have criticized some of the sources who were who were leaking this information. Listen, the sources were rock solid. Okay, the people who were reporting what was happening, I mean, I I, I think that, you know, they they were they were hearing from trusted sources, as Jim likes to say, he has trusted agents who who leak information for him, um, and I mean, I don't mean in the media, I mean, you know, in family and friends, and they were saying what they had heard. But it, to me, the thing that bugged me was, hey, if you're going to take the job, go on the interview and make the announcement after you take the job. The ratcheting up in the days around kind of kind of rubbed me wrong. Um, and, and, you know, there's been a lot of criticism or a lot of questions on, you know, what happened in that interview? Did he walk away? Did the Vikings walk away? Um, what we do know is he walked away, right? We, we know that happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he I, I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when he had his phone call with Ward Manuel and said, you know, basically, I, I, I'm coming back and I'll be here as long as you want me. And, you know, I I, uh, I, I have to give Ward Manuel credit. He handled last off. Uh, he handled last off season expertly 
and he handled this offseason expertly. Um, so what do you think about how the whole, uh, I guess, offer or not offer or whatever happened, um, how that news broke and what were your thoughts on it? Well, I, I, I spent most of January thinking that, that it was a leverage game and that, that Harbaugh was trying to, to gin up interest in order to negotiate from a place of strength. Um, just because as a competitor, I'm sure he hated negotiating from a place of weakness 12 months ago. Right. So I, I think we, we said it before. I think he felt like he was over a barrel a year ago and, and now he, he had that upper hand and he wanted to maximize his leverage. So that's what it felt like to me. Uh, through January, especially, like you said, middle of January, he's active in hiring Mike Elston away from Notre Dame. Um, I think at that point, the NFL interest was was kind of drying up on him, very similar to last year, right? When he, you know, before signing the, the new contract last year, he made it clear that he was going to go knock on some doors in the NFL, make some calls, and the, the interest was underwhelming. And I think for the first 75% of this particular cycle, it was the same thing. And then some very specific things happened with the Vikings hire and, and a GM that he had a relationship with that it was like, oh, man, no, this this could be real, right? And, and then you got to a point, I think, if I'm, again, armchair psychologist for uh, a guy that's, you know, totally unpredictable in Jim Harbaugh, to me, he says, "Listen, if if I'm gonna if I'm going to go to the NFL, if it's a legitimate option for me at 58 years old, this is this is there's no better opportunity. He as a coaching candidate can't have really a better season to come off of in terms of showing that he can still do it, right? That he's still got it, and and also as a as a Michigan alum and somebody who's always going to have an affection for the university and for the football program." He's leaving Michigan in a, in a much better place than he would have been had he left in 2020 or really any other of the seven years of his tenure. So this was when the stars kind of aligned to where if Harbaugh had gone and taken an NFL job, then we could we, it, it could have been a pretty mutually beneficial, everybody happy, thanks for the seven years, you know, we'll be rooting for you you know, as long as you're not playing our team, right? It, it, it seemed like you really had to go hard because it wasn't going to get any better than this, right? And the other the other kind of angle to that, at least for me, was he, he wanted to know if, if he's not going to take an NFL job or not going to get an uh, NFL offer, it's not going to be because he didn't really try. Right. It's not going to be he's not going to coulda, woulda, shoulda himself. Right. It's if there's a real opportunity, he really only has one speed, 100 miles an hour, full bore to go after it. And I think this popped up late in the cycle, late January, early February. He went full bore, tried to get it, may have even thought that he had it. Right. May have said some goodbyes on his way out of Ann Arbor and and it didn't work out, you know, so you write that having Michigan as a, as a fallback, you know, he's got a, he's under contract right now. He's probably going to sign an extension that changes the terms back to pretty close to what they were before. You know, we'll see what the details are, but 
for him, he, he had to really go full all in on trying to get an NFL job. If he could honestly say, and, and he's quoted in the Mitch album article as saying that this isn't going to be an annual thing. You know, I I'm here. I, this is, this was it. And it's hard for most people to believe that because this seems like an annual tradition of NFL rumors. But at the same time, I I have yet to see an example where Jim Harbaugh just told a, a bold faced lie publicly. And again, this is a, this is a quote in an article. We didn't exactly hear it coming out of his mouth, but if, if Harbaugh is saying, putting his name to a quote in, in the free press or Detroit news with, with, with Mitch album and we'll see what his article with uh, uh, Angelique looks like. If he's saying this is it, I'm, I'm Michigan's coach as long as they'll have me. I, I still tend to believe him. So for as crazy and as awkward and as uh, uncomfortable as his process can be, um, I, I still have a very hard time calling the man a liar. So if he says this is it, I believe him, and it, it does lend support to why he would go all the way to the you know through a nine-hour interview, and then make the decision of whether he thought that it was the right fit, or if he can honestly say, "I tried on the best possible scenario for myself. I tried to get the job and didn't get it." You know, it, it isn't going to happen. There's not going to be a better opportunity than that. It's time for me to let that go and to focus on the job that I have right here for the remainder of my career. So those things make sense to me, but you know, my opinion is, is no more valuable than anybody else's because obviously reading, reading Harbaugh's activities and trying to garner, you know, the root cause and the thought process is tough. But um, I, again, I have yet to see in seven years uh, an example of where he told a, a, a straight bald faced lie publicly so if he says that this is not going to be an annual thing from his side i i tend to believe him i believe him and i'm going to put a big caveat on that is that who knows what kind of amazing offer might fall from the sky right but with that said i think what jim has realized between last year and this year is that the NFL may not, well, no, the NFL has not exactly beaten a path to his door, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, you know, we're, like you said, we're never going to know what's going on in Jim's head. Um, even when he speaks, it, it doesn't always come out as, as understandable to us humans. Um, but I, I fully believe that he expected to have more options. And I think when he spoke to people, and I mean professionals in the NFL, you know, front office people, ownership, there is a consistent thread that's coming back, okay, of, listen, Jim is a different kind of guy, okay, he's a different animal. And here in Ann Arbor, he's our different animal, and most of us really appreciate him, right? But... The thing that I'm picking up from reading, you know, um, people who were familiar with what happened in the Bears and people who were familiar with the Vikings is that there was a certain level of discomfort with him, that he has a way of doing things 
and um, it's his way or the highway. And, you know, one of the reasons he ran out his time at San Francisco is that, you know, he, he didn't sync with the players on all times. And in college, you have much more power as a coach than you do in the NFL, right? And I think that that's one of the reasons, you know, he kind of wanted to, to be in sync with his GM in the NFL or be the GM, right? There are very few positions like that. So I believe that, you know, if, if, if we are to believe there was a nine-hour interview, okay, I believe at some point in that nine hours or shortly thereafter, it dawned on Jim he was never going to have the kind of control and the kind of power that he has at Michigan in the NFL. And that I think he wants that, right? I think that when you look at the situation that John has in Baltimore, you know, his brother, again, he's in sync with the ownership. They have bought in for the long term, which is which is few NFL teams do. And I think Jim knows or wants that if you're going to be successful, you need to have that. And he didn't get that. He didn't see that coming, right? Mm-hmm. At Michigan... He runs the show, right? And it's interesting because I'll tell you, when it looked right around, you know, February 1st that he was going to leave, the people who I think are the most shaken aren't the players, okay? I think the I think most people would be surprised to learn that, that the players at Michigan are a lot more sophisticated than many think, okay? They're all trying to get to the next level. They're negotiating NIL right now. They're keeping track of the transfer portal. They're keeping track of the depth chart. We see um, college players really taking uh, or having a lot more agency in their future and, and taking more of an interest, right? It's the staff that I think really probably were shaken by this, okay? Because he has built a complete pyramid with him at the top and if somebody comes in that all gets disrupted so um i think that's when you know you talked about a certain amount of unease with him coming back or awkwardness i think that's where the awkwardness and here's the thing that and again going into conjecture here having watched jim for a while and talked to him i'm not even sure it registers with him right He's like, hey, I told you I was thinking of leaving. I didn't leave. I came back. Let's get to work. And uh, it, it's it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I think it's going to be fine, though. You know, there is a certain amount of the sky is falling among the fandom, right? And the same way last offseason when Michigan had their terrible year and Jim came back and just cleaned house on the coaching staff, right? There was a certain amount of concern and questions well listen we lost our defensive coordinator and here's where we roll into josh gaddis leaving we've lost our offensive coordinator right i take heart in last off season jim made a lot of changes almost all of them were right they all came up good and i'm equal equally as hopeful that whatever changes we that are yet to be made in this off season are going to turn out right now getting in the next thing um you know on february 6th just a couple days ago 
we found out that Josh Gaddis took the offensive coordinator position at Miami of Florida. What did you think about that move, Clint? Well, it, it was it was a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of a surprise, and it's hard. It's really hard to tell. There's a couple different variables there, all tied to you know what what we just talked about with Harbaugh and the the roller coaster that the end of January was for the staff. Josh Gaddis, you know, had a really sharp interest in in that entire roller coaster because he was a legitimate candidate to maybe be the successor and and be promoted to the head coach. Now we don't know how legitimate that is. We know that it was floated uh, as a talking point in the media and certainly makes a lot of sense that the Broyles award winner who had just come off of a head coaching interview in the ACC this off season, you know, it's all, it's been pretty clear that Josh Gaddis is going to be a head coach of a college football program in the near future. Right. So um, it would make sense that he was at least a candidate internally. Um, so that dynamic of Jim then returning and then Gaddis leaving and, and on his way out the door, kind of putting it out there to the players and then eventually leaked that, uh, he didn't feel wanted by the administration. Um, you know, I don't know if that's, uh, if he's talking about the, the Michigan administration didn't match whatever contract offer he was getting from Miami. I don't know if he felt slighted by lack of attention in a potential, you know, succession plan for Jim Harbaugh. You know, it, there's there's a lot of things that he could be hinting at or could be upset about or disgruntled with. But, um, you know, in, at the end of the day, Josh Gaddis was either going to get promoted at Michigan or promoted somewhere else. He was going to be a head coach somewhere soon. So, again, this – a lot like the other coordinator, um, Mike McDonald, this seemed like the end result. It was just a matter of when, not if, that, that Josh Gaddis left. The big surprise, of course, is that it's a lateral move to Miami. And, and for me, I just focus on, well, okay, he went to Miami, which is certainly not Ann Arbor in February. So you could understand wanting to be in Miami. It's a big-name program. Uh, Gaddis played in the ACC at Wake Forest. Um, he's now coached twice in the Big Ten, once in the SEC at Alabama, and started in the MAC at Western Michigan. And now he's coached in the ACC. So he's he's got a pretty robust resume um, now. So I wondered originally if he had gotten some feedback from that uh, head coaching interview with uh, with Virginia. Um, and and decided to that he needed a uh, he would take a lateral move to the ACC um, to show that he can recruit and compete in you know back uh, in that part of the country. But then, even more than that, from a personnel standpoint, you know Mario Cristobal is the new head coach in Miami. Just came from Oregon, where his offensive coordinator was Joe Moorhead, an offensive coordinator who was very very successful at Penn State and uh, was there under James Franklin with Josh Gaddis. So I think this was Mario Cristobal settling down in Miami, saying, I wish I could have Joe Moorhead 
he's now the head coach at Akron. Who else can I get that has coached with Joe Moorhead to be my offensive coordinator? Oh, look who won the Broyles Award. You know, I'm going to make some phone calls and give him a good contract and make him say no. And perhaps Gaddis was sitting with that offer and said, if Michigan doesn't match it, I'm going to go. Or he was saying, well, I'm going to go to Miami for this much money, but let me see if Harbaugh takes the Vikings job and if I get a legitimate chance to be a head coach. So there's a lot of things going on there. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it, it's not a surprise that Josh Gaddis is moving on. Um, I, I wish him well. I, I know that it's a little bit of a contentious exit here, but that'll be water under the bridge for me at least. And hopefully um, there's there's no long lasting uh, damage to any personal relationships because I think he did a great job, uh, certainly in 21. I think he grew a lot over the three years as a coordinator. And uh, he pitched, you know, damn near a perfect game uh, against the Buckeyes in November. And uh, I, I remember just being flabbergasted when I looked at the numbers. And Michigan had a 72% success rate in that game offensively. It was it was very, very near a perfect game. And he's a legend to me for that performance alone. And then he backed it up with, you know, 42 points again in the Big Ten championship game against an Iowa defense that's really legit. So no hard feelings for me. It seems to make sense. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he, he has a, a long, successful career, stays out of Michigan's way to the best of, uh, you know, to, to our, not to our detriment. And uh, I hope that eventually those relationships uh, kind of mend themselves over time. So like Josh, wish him well, great guy to interview. Um, and, and I think people need to realize, okay, and this is one of the things when I'm, when we're going through the timeline, right? So five days before it was announced that he took the job at Miami, Harbaugh's on the way to the Vikings, allegedly. And everybody on that staff, meaning the Michigan staff, could theoretically be out of a job. Okay. And I'm not sure that everyone appreciates that, right? You know, understand that, you know, you're an assistant coach and there is a certain amount of you're going to bounce around, right? But when you bounce around, you bring your wife, you bring your kids. And so here, Harbaugh's taking the Vikings job. And who knows, at that point, he may have already decided he was going to leave for Miami. Okay. These things don't happen overnight. Right. But I can completely understand that if, you know, he had had conversations with Harbaugh or the administration and he didn't get the vibe that he was going to be a serious head coaching candidate, right? Now, let's go down that path. Even if he was a candidate, right, they're not going to make that decision probably in a day or two. He could have gone mm. through the whole cycle. Somebody else came in and still been dismissed, right? Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. know the way the offseason works. It's musical chairs. If there's not a position for you, there's not a position for you. So I think this kind of comes back to what I was saying that – um the staff here is the thing that I think needs to be reassured because again, you got to think that everybody looked, I mean, when, when it was announced, you know, the rumor is that Harbaugh left, you know, uh, left Willow run. And before he left Schembechler hall, he had kind of indicated to people he was going. So you got to believe those, those phones were burning. Right. 
And again, it, it becomes a situation where, well, okay, I guess I better decide how I leave and when I leave mm-hmm. before this guy leaves. Right. right. So yeah. I, I think, and, and again, it's funny because I'm seeing online, like, what do the players think? Hey, I think the players are fine. Okay. I really do. Most of the players get it. And, you know, you and I have talked about how it is a great thing that the players have more agency. They have the transfer portal. They have more power in this. They have the ability to, to have different options. Um, you know, it's a bigger deal for the, for the assistant coaches. Okay. And not just the assistant coaches, but like I said, Harbaugh has built himself a pyramid of football support staff and everybody had to be sweating bullets there because you don't know who they're going to keep. You don't know who's going to come in again. It's, it's, I think that's the, the kind of tremor that he needs to do a good job of, of, of kind of settling down now. So again, uh, you know, and, and I'll tell you the thing that I am going to be watching Josh Gaddis for in the next couple of years is yes, the offense was very successful this past season. I couldn't get it out of my head that this isn't exactly what Josh wanted to do. Okay. And what I'm wondering is if part of the reason he wanted to leave was that there's been a, a shadow. Okay. That this offense was really more what Harbaugh wanted than what Josh wanted. Like this is more going back to Harbaugh at Stanford, kind of bringing that imprint here. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, does 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 Josh go back? You know, in his at Miami, does he go back to more speed space? Is it more of a passing game? I don't know. I'm really interested to see, right? But there's a lot of reasons and a lot of swirl to where where you can see him not wanting to be under Harbaugh's shadow anymore, right? And not just the shadow of potentially leaving, but the shadow of whose offense is it really? And even, you know, Matt Weiss coming in, okay? You know, Matt Weiss is is rumored to be a contender for the next offensive coordinator. There was a rumor he was going to be going with Harbaugh. I wonder, did Jim offer Gaddis to go to the NFL? I mean, there's all these things we don't know. You know, it's kind of like as the world turns, right? The the soap opera that that we're probably not going to be privy to immediately, that stories will come out in the next couple of years, but there's all this uh, bubbling cauldron of drama and, you know, it, it, it's settled down for now. Um, so um, Clint, uh, would you like to talk about the, the latest defensive coordinator news? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, got to put the cherry on top at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the interviews for defensive coordinator, uh, are going on right now, and uh, I, I said, you know, pretty quickly that uh, I assumed, first of all, there was a, a, a clause in Steve Klingscale's contract that if they were top twenty-five in pass defense, uh, pass efficiency defensively in the regular season, that contractually he was going to get the co-defensive coordinator. Uh, label or tag added to him and, and probably comes with a pay raise. So uh, he, that clause triggered. So Clink Scale, to, to my understanding, is going to be the co-defensive coordinator. So 
the question then becomes who is the, uh, you know, who replaces Mike McDonald and uh, Mike Elston, the new defensive line coach is somebody who's been a candidate before. Uh, I believe he interviewed for the job. The other very interesting hire, which uh, news is breaking tonight that uh, I, I think Michigan's going to hire this, uh, this candidate is Jesse Minter, who was just the defensive coordinator for Vanderbilt. And the reason that uh, he is such an attractive candidate, at least initially from what I see, is that he also came from the John Harbaugh Ravens tree under um, you know, at the same system that Mike McDonald grew up in, uh, working in analytics on the defensive side of the ball, uh, and has also coordinated um, you know, now at least one year at Vanderbilt, uh, but also has uh, more uh, experience as a college coach um, and is the son of a, uh, a defensive coordinator from Notre Dame uh, in the past. So long lineage of uh, college football with Jesse Minter. Um, the, the coming out of the same tree, the same system, the same philosophy as Mike McDonald, I think is really what is the, the biggest thing because what I believe Mike McDonald did so well when he came in this time last year was got all of the coaching staff into a room and said, okay, how do we see, where, where do we see our talent? Let's evaluate where we're strong, where we're not. How can we leverage our strongest players and how can we find ways to use X's and O's to put our guys in position to do what they do best? Right. And that is a that's much more of an analytics uh, approach to to coaching um, as opposed to this is my system. This is a four, three under. This is how we run it. You know, I need a guy that's six two, two fifty to play this Mike linebacker. What do you got on your roster? Right. So it's it's much more um, of fitting your scheme and fitting your system to the the kids and the personnel that you've got there. So um, if Jesse Minter can be, you know, as successful or at least um, kind of take the same approach to fitting how he wants to uh, fit the defense to what Michigan will have coming back here uh, through the spring and, and kind of layer in the concepts with uh, more stability with Clink Scale, who did a great job with the, uh, the secondary and coverages, um, then I think that is the greatest level of consistency that Michigan could have hoped for uh, outside of keeping Mike McDonald directly. So uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I thought that it would be Mike Elston moved up to, D, to co-DC with Klingscale. Um, and then I read uh, earlier today also that Jesse Minter and Mike Elston also coached together uh, early on in, in their careers. So there's there's a connection there as well. So I, I think that there's already some some familiarity and uh, amongst the defensive staff, and I, I'm interested to see. You know, there's still a, a couple hires I believe that need to be made. Um, obviously, the the offensive coordinator is is all conjecture at this point, but just total number of coaches I think is still still going to be shaken out. Uh, and the other assumption is that. Um, We'll see what happens with Ron Bellamy, uh, with Gaddis moving on. Bellamy may now move back to receivers coach, 
which is what he played and, and what he started at um, when he was first hired. He was the receivers coach. So we'll see if he slips back to to the offensive side of the ball or or, or if they're going to hire another offensive coach and keep him on the defensive side of the ball. So back to the positive side of the coaching uh, hiring cycle here. I, I'm excited to learn more about Jesse Minter, and I am somewhat reassured to find out that he comes from that same tree as Mike McDonald, and, and I hope that he has a similar approach of fitting the scheme to to the players that are in Ann Arbor. Well, I have, uh, again, I've, I've ridden the roller coaster the last week, right? I pretty much the whole month of January, I thought it was 90-10 that Harbaugh would be back, right? 90%. And then the, hey, he's flying to Minneapolis. And I'm like, does not compute, right? So it immediately flipped to, okay, he's 90% gone. So once the dust settled, and uh, again, I drew up this timeline. It really reminds me of last season. Lots of changes on the on the coaching staff. But again, a lot of positivity. Um, I like the changes that we've seen so far, as you've said, there, there's going to be a question who's ultimately, how are they ultimately going to sort the DC, the defensive coordinator stuff. Right. Um, I've been really impressed with Matt Weiss. If he becomes the offensive coordinator, if they do something else, um, I think that um, when you strip away the drama and the adrenaline, right. Um, and the fear of the last week or so, I think that, Really, just got to keep calm. And, you know, Michigan has a great recruiting class coming in. They were able to hold those recruits, which I think was very important. And, again, not a surprise, okay? I think that the players and the recruits are much more sophisticated than people, than many people give them credit for. Um, I think one of the things to track in the next month or so is exactly what that contract looks like for Michigan, Okay. Um, we've heard there's one on the table, um, and it's going to be interesting to see, um, when Jim finally hires, uh, signs it and what it looks like. Um, you know, you and I have talked about things that would kind of, I think, make Jim happy. Um, you know, some kind of auto renewal, you know, the, you know, keep bumping the contract out every four or five years. Um, the thing that was interesting to me is, you know, again, speaking to the fandom, right? Last year, when Jim delayed announcing his return, there was a significant portion of the fan base that were ready to let him walk, right? And a year later, you know, there was a significant amount of the fan base who were screaming for him to just decide to come back already, right? So, again, it's it's a wild ride being a, a Michigan Wolverine fan, um, I, I think, you know, the, the, the drama of the last couple of weeks shouldn't overshadow the great season that Michigan had. And again, you know, it's interesting because one thing that I think I learned about Jim Harbaugh last season is that he does some of his best work when people doubt him. And there's a significant amount of people I think in the NFL right now who 
doubted whether he would be a great choice or a perfect choice. And that's one of the reasons he didn't get the offer, you know, to, to lure him back. There's also a lot of people on the college side saying, yeah, you know, you were looking to get out because, you know, last year was as good as it gets. So I think that that pressure to prove a lot of people wrong is, is going to fuel him for the next couple of seasons. And I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. And a, a little bit, I think the last thing for me is, is a little bit of context. Um, like I said, that it was certainly a roller coaster ride, a lot of conjecture, a lot of drama, but in the end, you know, we, we are right here where we are and, and what matters most is the next, you know, the next move, the next day. And at this time last year, at the beginning of February, Ed Warner was still on the staff. Uh, Sharon Moore, right at the end of January, had just been moved to offensive line coach and co-coordinator. So Ed Warner hadn't even left for Florida Atlantic at this point. Brian Jean-Marie, still on the staff at this point last year, hadn't left for Tennessee yet. Matt Weiss was still in Baltimore, running backs coach for the Ravens. And uh, Mo Linguist was starting uh, to make some news on the trail for Michigan, having just been hired at January 20th and uh, hadn't even left to be the head coach of Buffalo in, in April after spring ball. So, again, for context, I'm not saying that you want um, these things to be crazy and chaotic. Certainly you would much rather have a, a settled, consistent staff but uh, you know, with the amount of talent that right now is on the Michigan coaching staff, this turnover is going to be continuous. And um, you know, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh need to continue doing a good job of holding on to the guys that they can, promoting from within where it's uh, where it's appropriate, like they did with Sharon Moore, and um, you know, finding the guys like Mike Elston and Ron Bellamy and Mike Hart that. Uh, have deep ties to the university and want to be there regardless. And uh, that so far has continued through this cycle. They're in a better place right now than they were 12 months ago, coming off of a two and four season with, with even more chaos to come. So in the grand scheme of things, like I said, everybody take a deep breath. Uh, let's get the, the coordinators figured out and get the coaching staffs into a room and, and start figuring out how to best uh, leverage what we've got returning on offense, which is a lot, what we've got coming back on defense, which is uh, kind of a, a, a versatile mix, uh, a lot of flexibility. And we got to find the most important thing is who are going to be the player leaders that, that step forward and, and, and can really guide this program and the, the players from within the locker room through spring and, and into the off season here. Yeah. My thoughts are, Keep calm and go blue. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go blue.